Let us paint you the picture of the 1950s American dream. White picket fence, 2.4 kids, backyard in the suburbs. The home of John and Margaret Bryant, the home they've always dreamed of, the happiest investment they have ever made. And most importantly, a car. That takes you anywhere you want to go. The Model T, strong, sturdy, with a will of its own. When Henry Ford's Model T first came out to the general American public, it was the epitome of all values of personal freedom. Rather than being confined to the schedules of your local tram, you can now just hop in your car, drive to work, and quickly come back. If you were in the mood for it, you could even also go on a spontaneous, fun night drive. And to this day, Americans love their cars. For me personally, having grown up in the suburbs with first-generation immigrant parents made owning a car for others like us a symbol of fortune, luck, and basically everything good. With it came the promised American ideas of independence, freedom, and most of all, speed. But it comes as no surprise that cars, including yours, are massive polluters. For example, in the Bay Area alone, the MTC, which is our local transportation services commission, determined that 40% of all greenhouse gas emissions in 2022 were from transportation. That's a pretty big number. And despite this rise in electric cars, which are without a doubt better for GHG emissions, EV battery production is also super hard on the environment, leading to a loss of biodiversity, air pollution, and decreased water supply. EV batteries consist of materials like nickel, lithium, cobalt, and more, which are all super energy intensive to mine, not to mention expensive. So yeah, we can definitely do better. But what we're dealing with here is that not only is your car bad for the planet in the long term, but it is part of a larger, more urgent issue of pedestrian fatality. After all, the United States has four times more car accidents than any other country in the world. Now, yet another deadly crash in the city of San Jose. Officers say they were called out to a residential... Focus now to the rise of roadway deaths, a problem that's worse in the U.S. than in many other developed countries. This weekend, two separate crashes killed a total of three people and left several others injured, including... While jarring, headlines like these are becoming more and more common across America pointing at just another reason why we must start to rethink the role of the car in our communities. What if I told you that the answer to transforming our cities costs us nothing? What if I told you that walking has the capacity to shift decades of urban planning, redefine the American dream, and build cities to outlast the perils of climate change? My name is Catherine. And I'm Connie. And today, you'll be listening to our podcast. One step at a time, how we can redefine walkability in America. So let's rewind a bit back to the American dream. Specifically, the role that the car plays in the American dream had the power to majorly transform our cities. Take Los Angeles, for example. While known by some for its celebrity sightings and a good weather, Many locals know it for its sprawling area accompanied by gnarly traffic. In a city where cars outnumber drivers, 
Los Angeles isn't what comes to mind when I think of a walkable city. In the early 19th century, LA boasted the most impressive streetcar system in the world. What happened to it? A combination of poor urban planning decisions and growing customer demand for the car quickly shifted the entire transit system of a city as big as Los Angeles in a matter of decades. LA gave priority to the vehicle over the people. As the American dream concept of living in a single family home in the suburbs became more and more popular, it reinforces success of the automobile in Los Angeles. Cars enabled Angelinos to disperse across the city in suburb-style neighborhoods. More demand for cars caused less demand for transit, and LA quickly removed its streetcar system to prioritize the automobile. Best investment a town can make. Lots of parking. Historic buildings were even torn down to create parking spaces as more and more people fled downtown to live in quiet neighborhoods away from the city center. By the 1950s, an elaborate freeway system was underway to alleviate the congestion caused by cars in Los Angeles. Before you knew it, Los Angeles became the car-centric city it is today. And it wasn't just LA. Across the country, wide roads, complex highway networks, parking garages, and suburban sprawl began to reshape previously condensed American cities and redefine the precedent for how new cities would be built. So how can we get it back? What if there was a scenario where streets prioritize people rather than cars? Think about it. Imagine if your 15-minute car ride could be replaced with a 15-minute walk. Bumping into neighbors would lead to an established social community, the extra exercise would provide countless health benefits, and air and noise pollution from vehicles would be drastically reduced. While the utopian walkable city may sometimes seem impossible to implement, communities have been able to transform currently car-dominated areas into ones that favor pedestrians. The seemingly radical idea of removing cars from streets did happen in New York with much success. The catalyst for such change, the global COVID pandemic. During COVID, many of our communities closed off streets to through traffic to encourage outdoor gathering during the pandemic as a part of open streets initiatives. For those of us who have tried everything we can to have put COVID-era memories out of our heads, Open Streets are a program that barricaded previously car-dedicated streets for pedestrians and dining. 35 of the 50 states closed off traffic through programs similar to Open Streets. Personally, I can still remember how it impacted a street in my neighborhood. Tables and chairs encroached onto the asphalt in front of restaurants. Families spent more time together outside and the sound of laughter and conversation replaced the sound of honking and engines. In short, our American streets became walkable. A silver lining of the COVID pandemic. But will these temporary measures to close the streets truly last? Here's where Clara Smith comes in. Clara is a Brooklyn activist determined to bring back not only street safety, but urban vitality. When we first met Clara, she had taken her passion for walking a bit further and was hiking nearly a month's long journey through the Appalachian Trail, only able to get sparse cell phone signals every other day or so. I just got off the trail to do like laundry and buy more clues and we'll walk into enter Shenandoah tomorrow. Contacting her was a challenge, but nonetheless a worthy endeavor. 
After all, she, like many others, were part of a nationwide movement to preserve the sense of community they found in COVID-era open streets initiatives and show others what a walkable life would truly mean. Brooklyn was one of the places that really embraced the open streets movement. And while a lot of cities went back to their pre-pandemic car activity, Brooklyn streets are still open to pedestrians today. And it launched a community effort that has made the neighborhood safer and more connected. First of all, from a community health perspective, there are inherent medical risks to having so many cars on the road. After all, imagine your child is playing on a playground right next to a busy road. Cars are honking by, pumping out their polluting fumes, all while your child is growing up. With this increased pollution, studies have also shown that these children will now be at an increased risk of asthma. When open streets initiatives were first introduced to North Brooklyn, residents and businesses alike were ecstatic. This program helped Clara become more connected with her neighbors as they joined together to fight for safe streets. Starts with the community activism, but local municipalities would do well to take this initiative up on their own. Studies have shown that when you take curb space and replace the parking space that's there for cars with walkable areas or bike parking, that businesses actually get patrons more because way more people can access a business. To this day, through activism like that of Clara's, The Open Streets Initiative now remains a permanent fixture to Brooklyn's local scene. And we just got the the Department of Transportation just announced last week that they're resigning the road. And it's like one of the most radical changes under the Eric Adams administration for street design that we've seen. And it's like amazing to see that change. So something that's really exciting. This story of Open Streets initiatives seems to be a major success story for people reclaiming the streets from cars and inspiring walkability in American cities. But at a certain point, is it enough to just close off local streets to cars? Or perhaps is it now time that we finally acknowledge the elephant in the room? After all, we have to remind ourselves, no matter how many streets we close off, America's infrastructure is still built for cars. In order to see lasting change, we need to think on a bigger scale. What would happen if we didn't have these wide roads and sprawling suburbs in the first place? What if walkability wasn't confined to a handful of streets transformed by initiatives like Clara's? To get away from our car dependence, we need to consider redefining the American dream. What it means is that we should have, as much as possible, compact communities where you can live, work, get outdoors, commune with nature, do everything you need to do and and not have to go more than a relatively short distance from the center of the communities. That was Dehan Glantz, a Stanford professor and urban design expert. He recognizes a shift in the American dream and what the average American citizen wants when they imagine their ideal lifestyle. Glantz is a part of a broader movement of revolutionary urban designers advocating for this idea of smart growth. So, what does that mean? Smart Grove focuses on building accessible communities and presents itself as a sustainable alternative to suburban sprawl. But if you can get a bunch of people to live instead of in a suburban sprawling kind of environment where you have to use the car for literally everything you do when you walk out your door, 
if you can create livable, more compact communities, that's when you really move the needle for climate change. So does a fully walkable community need to be on the scale of Manhattan? Tall, dense buildings, limited green spaces, and people hustling everywhere? Not necessarily. It's whatever scale of urbanism a community has is that it tries to be as compact as possible. So this doesn't just apply to people in urban areas. People living out in the country can have smart growth too. You know, like Mendocino or tiny, very small communities, beautiful, very rural, not at all what you think of as urban, but it's compact. It's about compactness, not about size. Breaking it down, smart growth means building multi-use developments, which can include restaurants, grocery stores, diverse housing options, basically all your essential community spaces in one compact place. It's not about whether you live in a huge sky-rise apartment in a big city, but rather that you live in a community that is centralized. I've always puzzled why there's been such resistance to this concept of compact communities because it's really all about choice. So instead of only single-family homes, you've got to allow for townhomes, and you've got to allow for multifamily, and you've got to allow affordable housing. Because smart growth doesn't rely on everyone having to live in small apartments. It's about increasing the choice of the type of housing available. What Glance is saying is that smart growth, in many ways, is also about providing opportunities for everyone in America. Creating a truly walkable city is dependent on increasing types of housing, especially affordable housing, in our communities. At the end of the day, creating these compact communities will also have profound implications on our own happiness and sustainability as well. There's an inherent joy in being connected to the community around you, especially if that comes along with safer streets, with less pedestrian traffic accidents, cleaner air, and more sustainable cities. I would think that would be a very universally accepted concept for Americans. Imagine now the new American dream. Away we must go from our car dependency and single suburban family homes. Rather, perhaps, your dream now might be to live in a big city. A city that will now be bustling, not with cars, but with people and life. So, what matters more to you? Your picket fence or the planet? You've been listening to One Step at a Time, How We Can Redefine Walkability in America, which was written and produced by Catherine Dickerman and Connie Hong. Music was used from Blue Dot Sessions, the Free Music Archive, and freesound.org. Many thanks to our professor, Laura Joyce Davis, and the Stories to Save Our Planet class for feedback and support. Until next time, 